1: And our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Today's story is Goodnight Earth by Annie Belay, narrated by Emily Rankin. Annie Belay is the author of The Twenty Sided Sorceress and the Griffin Pike Chronicles series. She holds a BA in English and a BA in Medieval Studies, and thus can speak a smattering of useful languages such as Anglo Saxon and Medieval Welsh. Her short fiction is available in multiple collections and anthologies. Her interests besides writing include rock climbing, reading, horseback riding, video games, comic books, tabletop RPGs, and many other nerdy pursuits. She lives in the Pacific Northwest with her husband and a very demanding Bengal cat. Find her on her website at AnnieBelay.com, that's A-N-N-I-E, B E L L E T dot com. And now, buckle up. We're going to light speed.
0: Good Night Earth by Annie Belay. Karen leaned over the rail of her boat, the Tariq, and watched the meteor shower from its reflection in the river below. The bright streaks of light looked like underwater fireflies and the ring more like a soft blue disk, a monochromatic rainbow that ruled their lives in constant reminder of how broken the world was. Water, water everywhere, she murmured to herself, the words half forgotten, something she'd read in the Covenant Archive a world and lifetime ago. The Tariq rowed low in the river as it tacked up the Missip shoreline. She was a smaller boat, fifty feet, and built with a shallow draft for sailing rivers and canals. Usually she carried only Karen and Ishim, and whatever cargo they'd bartered for or bought, or stolen. The ship wasn't equipped to handle six people on board— Karen glanced at their passengers where they huddled on makeshift beds around the steam stack toward the aft of the ship. A man and woman, giving what were probably fake names, and two kids. A week ago now, they'd appeared on a small dock upriver from Louston, asking about getting around the Covenant checkpoints between Louston and Rhea, a good two-week journey if they did it straight. No papers for the kids, the woman, Jill, Said. Plausible enough story, and their Covenant coin would spend all along the river. The thirty gallons of pure water they'd offered as bonus had decided it. Karen and Ishim would smuggle the four up to Rhea, where Nolan, the man, said his parents and jobs were waiting. In the pale earthlight coming off the ring, Karen could almost make out the little family's faces. "'The adults appeared asleep under their blankets, "'but the two kids were awake, their dark eyes glinting. "'Oni, the boy, was supposedly seven years old, "'and his sister, B was four. "'They were well-behaved, the two kids, creepily so, "'quiet as fish and as nimble as button, the ship cat. "'Karen bit her lip,' "'glancing to the fore where Ishim stood, "'keeping the ship steering smoothly through the dark water. "'She hadn't told him her suspicions about the children. "'What she thought was impossible, "'and she knew as well as he that even if she was right, "'there was nothing she and Ishim could or would do about it. "'She'd always been too curious. "'Her instructors at the academy had always said so "'in varying tones of annoyance or amusement.' Curiosity killed the cat, she thought, turning over the phrase in her mind, a phrase from the old times, before the ring, before the sky broke and war came to the world. Satisfaction brought it back, she whispered. She had to know. Creeping over the deck the shush of wind in the mainsail and the lap of water against the hull covering any sound she would have made, Karen approached the sleeping passengers. She brought her finger to her lips and saw both children nod. The adults to either side of them didn't move, apparently both actually asleep. She knelt in front of Oni and reached for his head. He didn't flinch, didn't even seem to breathe as she slid her hand around the back of his neck and felt the base of his skull. The hard knot was there, distinct and familiar beneath her trembling fingers. Oni reached up and touched her arm. Karen bent her head and let him feel her own knot for himself. B's tiny hand replaced Oni's. Not your aunt and uncle. Karen whispered, her mouth moving, but hardly any sound coming from her throat. The kids would hear her, if they were like she was. No, Oni whispered back. Help us? How? Kill them. They are going to sell us. She shook her head. Not my problem, she whispered. You are like us, the boy said. Beside him, Jill stirred, and all three of them froze until she settled again. Not anymore, Karen lied. For a long moment, they sat there in silence, watching each other. Then Karen crept away, her heart in her throat, and went back to her own blanket, Her head buzzed as her adrenaline spiked, and the nanos in their case at the base of her skull woke up, reacting to her heightened emotions. She took careful, slow breaths and forced herself to calm. War children, they'd been called. The program was dead, dismantled and torched fifteen years ago. She'd been in the last generation— the last raised in the crash in D.C. Genetically altered, infested with nanotech that even the Covenant didn't understand, trained from the day they could walk to hunt, kill, be soldiers at the front of the Covenant peacekeeping forces. She'd seen the Academy burn, seen her fellow children burn with it. Only a few escaped that she knew of, and many of them had been hunted down or gone insane. If Ishim hadn't pulled her from the river, she would have died as well. It was luck and staying calm and quiet that had kept the nanos from driving her insane, kept her from being caught. She'd told Ishim what she was, but he didn't seem to care. Karen had warned him if she went crazy, he'd have to put her down. If you go crazy, will I even be able to kill you before you get me? Ishim had asked. Karen had looked away. They both knew the answer was no. No one man alone could take out a war child. Now, there were three of them on this boat, though what training the two kids had, Karen didn't know. At Oni's age... She'd already run her first mission. Was there a program again? Why were these kids traveling with the suspiciously normal-seeming man and woman who Oni said were going to sell them? Sell them to whom? Too many questions get smugglers killed, Ishim would say. Karen stared up at the ring and pushed the questions away as stones fell out of the sky— flamed bright, and died away. The missip branched into a hundred waterways as the zuri joined up with it. Ishim and Karen knew many of those ways. Which ones were patrolled by covenant boats or led to covenant settlements? Which ones were dead ends? Which were safe for a boat with a shallow draft to pull down or steam up? Reeds and willow branches shivered in the cool spring air as they tacked west and north along one of these myriad of ways. By afternoon they would join up with a bigger branch of the Zuri, and in another week they'd be able to steam toward Rhea, the worst of the checkpoints and danger zones avoided. Rhea itself was controlled by one of the barons, gang leaders set up by the Covenant to keep a semblance of order on this side of the Mississippi. Long as the trains ran on time and the tithes got paid, Covenant didn't seem to care what else happened or how the barons went about their lives. Ishim was catching a nap, and Karen had the wheel as she guided the ship, keeping the boat turned so the big sail held a belly full of wind. This way would narrow too much for sail soon, and they'd have to break out the poles or risk the sound of the steam engine for a while. They'd decide when Ishim woke, probably with a shared glance, a look at the river conditions, and a nod. A decade and a half relying on each other made words irrelevant. Karen smiled to herself as a kingfisher dove into the water ahead. Sometimes they'd go weeks without words. Not like their passengers. Nolan and Jill talked to each other a lot and sometimes attempted to engage Ishim or Karen in small talk, more and more as the days went by. They said idle things, mostly. When they spoke to each other, they used Esper instead of Covenant. Their accents in that tongue put them from the south, maybe from as far as Nolans. She and Ishim never sailed too far south. Too many sharks and crocodiles, too much heat... Unstable weather and biting insects. Too many covenant peacekeepers. The north was safer. Nolan had insulted Karen and Ishim the second day in Esper, calling Ishim a night pig and Karen his little white slut. Ishim didn't speak Esper, and Karen had decided not to respond. "'curious as to why the man went off on them "'with such a pleasant tone and a smile on his face. "'She'd figured he was trying to see if she spoke the language. "'Her training was still there, "'lurking beneath her skin like the nanotech. "'So she said nothing, "'just shook her head as though she had no idea what he was saying. "'This morning they'd been whispering about a broken bridge. "'Their excitement— the anticipation they couldn't keep out of their body language. It scared Karen. Felt to her like the thick heat before a bad storm, air crackling with energy as the world held its breath. War, children. She hadn't told Ishim. No way to tell him without chancing being overheard. The kids had stayed aft all morning, Crouched together and watching the world with dark, quiet eyes that didn't quite meet hers when she'd risked looking their way. Wherever they'd come from, wherever they were going, they weren't her crush, her brothers and sisters. Not her problem. Killing took her away, took her to the warm place it was hard to come home from. She wouldn't go there for strangers. She couldn't. The children as she'd known them were gone. These kids, not her problem. The wheel beneath her hands creaked and started to splinter. She forced her grip to relax. Ishim woke and they shared a quick meal of flatbread and dried fruit. Supplies were low and it hadn't rained in a few days... They'd have to start boiling river water soon, or use the precious gallons of filtered water on their passengers. They had filter tabs, but those made water taste awful, and Karen shit tar, so she avoided them unless it was dire. There was a settlement nearby, just upstream, where their covenant coin would spend. Fresh water, maybe fresh fruit and vegetables, maybe even game meat— Karen was getting tired of fish and flatbread. They doused the sails after losing the stern wind as the river narrowed and pushed the boat with long poles through the smaller canal-like passage that should connect up to the Zuri tributaries. She hadn't sailed this way since last summer, and the winter rains and flooding could have changed things. It wouldn't have been the first time. Hours of polling felt good on her muscles— "'taking her mind off the kids. "'Something red caught her eye off the port side "'as she shoved the long pole into the canal bed. "'Metal, the remnant of a settlement here, "'probably before the ring, "'back when Earth had a moon "'and this whole land was called United States. "'Fragments survived even in the wilderness, "'sometimes rising like the carcass "'of a long-dead beast from reeds and swamp.' Part of a bridge, Karen realized. She'd seen it before, the broken expanse stretching like an accusing finger pointing over the water. It hadn't been red then. It was painted on the side toward her, bright and fresh. She went still, pole in her hands nearly forgotten. Ishim cursed, and she made herself turn and look to the starboard side, Nolan had a thirty-eight revolver pointed at Ishim's head. The way the man held it, he'd used a gun a lot. Pull over to the bank there by that bridge, Jill said. She stood near the mast, another gun held in one hand, pointed down but with her finger near the trigger. Don't do anything stupid, Nolan added. Karen contemplated doing something stupid. "'The nanos in her head were angry insects begging to be let free. "'They buzzed through her, little twitches of muscle and thought "'which she had tried to euthanize with time and quiet. "'Jam the pole into the river. "'Shove the ship hard right. "'Grab the gaff two steps four. "'Take five steps. "'Remove gun from man. "'Throw gaff and rope at woman. "'Take gun. "'Kill. Two shots.' She ran it in her head ten different ways. Every time, Ishim had a high chance of being shot before she got to the man. She had a high chance of being shot, too, but a bullet or two would only piss her off, not take her down. The kids stayed aft, crouched on a blanket, staring at the deck. No help there. Ishim caught her eye and shook his head, his graying braids swinging with the movement. Karen pressed her lips together and nodded. She would wait then, wait for the passengers to screw up. Humans always screwed up. They pulled over to shore. The hull ground into the reeds and Jill threw a rope up onto the broken bridge. A man rose from above and caught it, tying the ship off, Two more men made their way out of the brush and slogged into the shallows. Lower the ladder. This is where you get off, Jill said, motioning with her pistol. Covenant gun, the pointed cross clearly stamped on the barrel. I am not leaving my ship, Ishim said. He folded thickly muscled black arms over his chest, chin up. You want to go somewhere? will take you. But I do not leave my ship. She and Ishim had checked all the bags. They'd made Jill and Nolan stand while they patted them down, too. Where had they hidden the guns? Karen looked back at the kids. They hadn't checked them. Stupid of her. She should know how dangerous children could be. He hadn't told her. "'the night before. "'Karen wondered if the boy would have, "'if she'd agreed to help. "'He hadn't said a word, "'because he knew the man and woman "'would force her hand if they had guns. "'It was how a war child would think, "'what she would have done in his place. "'Oni caught her eye now "'and mouthed a word of apology, "'looking decades older than seven. "'Bee clung to him, "'staring at the planks, her knuckles white where she gripped Oni's shirt. There was a gun on the ship, next to the steam engine in a hidden compartment. Fat lot of good it would do her now. She had a small knife on her belt. Knife in a gunfight. Not so good either. All scenarios led to Ishim being shot before she could fight back. Her mind buzzed, her blood singing the song of death, the song of war. Memories buried and half-forgotten arose, snapping into place like a joint out of socket. She'd killed once before to protect the ship, to protect Ishim. She'd come back from the warm rage that time. She could return again from that bright place. She had no choice, Karen raised her eyes from the kids to the ring where it slashed the blue skies above, shining white in the sun. The ring was no more able to stop dropping rocks from the sky than she could stop what she was. Hating the ring for the storms and the fires was as pointless as hating the sun for shining. Hating her nanotech and her training was the same. She could fight it, the way they fought the river to move upstream, but let go... Stop for a moment, and she would drift like the ship, going the way nature intended. Karen set her pole down slowly. It was too long to use as a weapon. She turned to Jill after a glance told her the men on the shore didn't have guns in hand. You think you are the first to try to hijack our ship? Ishim and his brother built this ship with their hands, sweat, and tears, His brother's name is on the hull, his brother's blood in the nails and boards, his hair in the rope and sail. Karen moved slowly to her left. One more step and she'd have the gaffing hook. She kept her eyes on Jill. A captain, she continued, knowing Ishim would hear her, knowing he'd understand. A true captain always goes down with his ship. Oni acted before she could. The boy crossed the deck in a blur of preternatural speed, whipping the blanket into a weapon before him. It caught Jill in the side and threw her off balance. The boy was small and there wasn't much strength in the blow, but the blanket's momentum shoved her into the mast, distracting the woman for a precious moment. Karen grabbed the gaffing hook. Ishim dropped to the deck, sweeping his own pole to the side and catching Nolan in the legs with it. Karen sprang and landed on the man. She plunged the pointed end of the gaff into his throat with her right hand, even as her left went for the revolver. Blood sprayed from his mouth as a gunshot cracked out over the water. B screamed. Karen wrenched the revolver from Nolan's dying fingers and rolled to the side, pointing the gun where she'd last seen Jill. Oni was down, holding his hands to his thin stomach, dark blood welling between his fingers. Jill turned, swinging the gun a little wildly. The revolver was her hand, a metal intention of her killing will. Fifteen years without a gun, and she felt as though time had stood still. She was a child again, full of light, bright and hot and deadly. The laughter ringing over the water was her own, echoing back at her as she squeezed the trigger. One shot for Jill, giving the woman a third eye and a baffled expression before she toppled over. Two shots for the man who had jumped to the deck. One shot for the man climbing over the railing. Karen gained her feet and ran to the rail. The final man wasn't trying to climb up anymore. He sloshed and slogged to the firmer shore, trying to run. She raised the gun. Two shots left. If the weight was right, was as she remembered. Karen. Ishim's voice broke her focus. The big man moved up beside her, carefully making noise and staying out of striking distance. She kept her eyes on the escaping prey. Karen, he repeated, look to the sky. Her arms shaking with the effort of holding the gun and not firing, Karen made herself look up. Ring light, she murmured. Sunlight, earthlight, ring light, sunlight, earthlight over and over until the words became nothing but breathing. Karen lowered the gun. The man was gone, lost to the brush. She could have hunted him down, but the light was fading inside. She was tired, the buzzing in her head growing quiet as the moment passed. Help him, B said, the little girl's voice strained but strong. They are like me, Karen said. He'll live. Get powder for the bleeding. He'll live, she repeated. He is like me. Ishim went for the first aid kit. Karen went for the bodies. She cut their throats before she hauled them over the side shoving away her aroused, visceral reaction to the salt and copper scent of blood. They'd have to scrub the boards. The blood would stain. The coin would buy paint to hide the stains. Karen kept her thoughts flowing, simple, calm thoughts. Lists of things to do. She ignored the kids as long as she could, getting the boat unhooked. Oni would live Ishim would help him. Oni slept in a pile of blankets, B holding his hand. Ishim and Karen didn't speak, just pulled further up the channel. They would skip the settlement. You'll need a good meal, she said eventually, as the sun set and painted the ring orange and pink. There's an inlet ahead. I can hunt. I'll hunt. The rabbit was slow and fat on spring grass. Karen used a thrown rock to bring it down. The hard earth beneath her feet felt strange as she made her way back to the river. Yishim had brought the kids down off the ship and started a fire on the driest bit of land that they could find. Oni's color was better, his eyes bright and clear. "'You could have told me about the guns,' Karen said as she quartered the rabbit into the small kettle before adding precious pure water to the stew. You wouldn't have helped us, Oni said. You knew, Ishim said, looking at Karen, making it clear he was talking about the kids, not about the guns. Only last night. They weren't our problem. She lifted a shoulder in a half shrug. Smugglers and questions, right? We're your problem now, Oni said with the kind of smug smile only a child used to being the smartest person around would wear. And where do you expect us to take you, Ria? That's where we've been paid for. Ishim looked at Karen and shook his head with a small smile of his own. No, Oni said. Sanctuary. Karen laughed, the sound barking from her throat, surprising her. That's a myth. Hell, we told each other that myth in my crush. Sanctuary. A place where they had tech that could take out the nanos. Tech to calm them, make a war child normal again. A place where no one would make you kill a place where no brothers or sisters went insane and had to be put down like rabid dogs. Myth. A bedtime story told by motherless children, told by killers. "'I have a map,' Oni said. "'Give me your knife.' Karen drew her knife, trying not to think of the throats it had cut today. "'Wait,' Ishim said, reaching for Oni as the boy cut into his own arm with a sure stroke. Karen caught Ishim's forearm and pushed him back. He's like me, she said. Oni pulled a small tube from under his skin. Already his nanos were closing the wound, the blood welling, slowing, and stopping even as she watched. He handed the knife back before opening the tube. Inside was a map on thin paper. No, Karen saw, not paper, leather of some kind. So thin that when he held it up in the firelight, the flames shone straight through, illuminating lines, river lines, numbers. A small star done in red ink, like a drop of blood. Zuri to James, James to Dakota, then west, to the Yellowstone and into the mountains. I have coordinates. See those numbers? Not a myth. It's real. The ones who made us, they came from there. We were to be the new generation, the new kind of child. I am Eve, Bee added. I hate being Eve. Want to be Bee. Bees can sting. Jill and Nolan were from Sanctuary? Ishim asked. Karen was silent, still staring at the map, holding her breath, trying to decide if a legend could be real. No, they worked there. I don't know what happened. Funding dried up. The Covenant doesn't want more of us, I guess. They ended the program and we were supposed to be destroyed. Karen tore her eyes from the map and looked at Oni, history repeats she said softly marta the woman you call jill she stole us said a baron would pay for us she killed the others but not before sandy the woman from sanctuary gave me the map and told me how to find it oni leaned back against the piled blankets with a pained sigh and carefully rolled up the map the stew started to boil over. Karen turned away from the kids, from the map to an impossible place, and settled for dealing with dinner. Later, her belly full of spring roots and rabbit, she stood at the edge of the river, watching lights smear across the darkening sky. Ishim came up beside her, making no attempt to hide his approach. ''Do we take them to this place?'' he said. ''Tariq is yours,'' Karen said. She turned and looked at her friend. Her real words were unspoken. ''Don't make me decide.'' ''We've been on the river a long time,'' Ishim said. ''Drifting up and down.'' Been a long time since I did anything but sail with my grief and try to outrun memory. We are alike, Karen said, her mouth twisting into what felt like a smile, at least on the outside. I like the river. Sanctuary is a dream, nothing more. Maybe it is time we stop drifting, Ishim said with a too casual shrug. Can't just leave two kids on their own. But if you don't want to go, we'll set them down in Ria. That boy is as smart as ten men. He'll figure his way and take care of his sister. She nodded and looked back to the sky as Ishim moved back toward the camp. Karen walked to the very edge of the river. Water soaked through her boots, her toes going numb as she stood on the muddy bank. Oni and B, children like she had been, like she still was in the bright moments she couldn't quite seem to escape. Water, water everywhere, she murmured. Bending low, she dug her fingers into the mud and squeezed feeling the gritty earth slide over her skin. Sanctuary meant healing, meant being free of insanity, free of the things in her head. Myth. Myth, like war children, were becoming a myth. Another generation, and they'd be as forgotten as most of the texts and histories from before the ring— As much legend as the archive was legend, as the great wars would become in thirty or fifty more years. Ishim was right. She had been drifting on the river, but now she had a brother and sister again, and they had a map a map to a dream. Karen bent down and let the river wash the last traces of grit from her hand. Maybe it was time to dream again.
1: Welcome back. You've been listening to Emily Rankin reading Goodnight Earth by Annie Belay. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams. If you are not already a subscriber to our Hugo Award-winning magazine, check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by Jack Kincaid, post-production for lightspeed is in association with yours truly. Speaking of John Joseph Adams, he is our sponsor this month with three anthologies recently released in print and audiobook forms. They include Operation Arcana, Wastelands 2, and the third book in the Apocalypse Triptych, The End Has Come. In addition, our audiobook Lightspeed Year 1 contains all the podcasts from our first year and is available at downpour.com and audible.com thanks for listening that's all for now see you on the bitstream i'm jim freund wishing you cheers from all of us at
0: lightspeed